So I invite you now to join me with our prayer of illumination. The words are found in your bulletin or on the screen. So friends, let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of the Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. So for this first Sunday in Lent, we have two scripture passages that I'd like to share with you. The first comes to us from Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 7. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. You're welcome to follow along with the Pew Bibles. Um, The page number is listed in your bulletin, but hear now these words. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are freely, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall die. Continuing with chapter three. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He had said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, you may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Our second reading comes to us from the gospel according to Matthew from the fourth chapter verses 1 through 11. I will be reading from the message by Eugene Peterson. Next, Jesus was taken into the wild by the spirit for the test. The devil was ready to give it. Jesus prepared for the test, capital T, by fasting 40 days and 40 nights. That left him, of course, in a state of extreme hunger, which the devil took advantage of in the first test, lowercase t. Since you are God's son, speak the word that will turn these stones into loaves of bread. And Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy, it takes more than bread to stay alive. It takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. For the second test, the devil took him to the holy city. He sat him on the top of the temple and said, since you are God's son, jump. The devil goaded him by quoting Psalm 91. He has placed you in the care of angels. They will catch you so that you won't so much as stub your toe on a stone. 
And Jesus countered with another citation from Deuteronomy, Don't you dare test the Lord your God. For the third test, the devil took him on the peak of a huge mountain. He gestured expansively, pointing out all the earth's kingdom, how glorious they all were. Then he said, they're yours, lock, stock, and barrel. Just go down on your knees and worship me, and they're yours. Jesus' refusal was curt. Beat it, Satan. He backed his rebuke with the third quotation from Deuteronomy. Worship the Lord your God and only him. Serve him with absolute single-heartedness. And the test, capital T, was over. The devil left. And in his place, angels. Angels came and took care of Jesus' needs. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God for it. Please pray with me. Gracious and holy God, these words that we have heard, we are reminded of our own sinful nature, of the need for forgiveness and salvation. Thank you for not leaving us where we are, for giving us Jesus to give us a way to come back more fully into relationship with you. So may the words of my mouth and the collective meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, and all God's people said, amen. Did I mention that I'd love to fast forward through Lent? Because this is a hard passage for us to reflect on today. Because the truth is, I don't know how many of you willingly admit often our sinfulness. Because no one wants to think that we don't get it right or we've done wrong or we're contrary to God's will. And for us as Methodists, we believe sin to be those things that we consciously or subconsciously do that separates us from right relationship with God. There are times when We go and do things on our own path that turn us away from God. It's not that God is farther away from us, but rather us that have taken ourselves farther away from God. And God gives us grace, thank goodness, that draws us closer, that reminds us of, hey, this is not what I intend for you. Make your path right and return to me. That's how we can often think of the season of Lent, a season of preparation, a season of repentance, a season of remembrance, a season of reflection, of returning back to God. For those who were here on Wednesday night, I've, I've left some of the symbols from Ash Wednesday I give thanks for the youth who helped prepare the ashes by burning the palms. And tradition usually is that we take those palms of celebration of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And then we hold those palms all year to burn them to make the ashes for Ash Wednesday. 
And we touch these ashes as a reminder of our own mortality, that from dust we came into dust we shall return. And we use it as a sign of mourning, of remembrance. On Wednesday, I also put hyssop fragrance in with the ashes as an aromatic reminder of the psalm's words of cleanse me with hyssop, make my heart pure. We came here on Wednesday in order to enter into the season of Lent, a season of following Jesus, of remembering how Jesus, after his baptism, was fully encased, ensconced, and comforted by the Spirit that had poured down on him when we heard the voice of God that said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And it is after Jesus' baptism that it is the Spirit that leads him into the wilderness. In our video, we saw an artistic rendering of what those 40 days may have been like. Where Jesus may have started out strong, of great strength and of great courage. and, And how he himself almost wasted away by the very end. For at his weakest moment, that is when Satan came. To do the test. Test with a capital T. A way of seeing if Jesus will hold true to what God had called Jesus to. And and using God's word as a rebuttal to the things that Satan was asking of Jesus. And, And if you notice, even Satan used God's words to test Jesus. And Jesus still clung to the promises of God and the word that you shall not put the Lord to the test. You cannot live on bread alone. We hear these words from Jesus that even at his weakest, most rundown state, Jesus shows what faith in God can look like. In Disciple Bible Study, we spent quite a bit of time looking at the story of the introduction of sin into humanity. That there was a time when it was idyllic, where it was perfect, where the created man and woman were able to live in close proximity with God in the garden. That's why we understand Jesus is the gardener. The dirt, which would be where God breathed life, Adam was Adamah, breathing life into the dirt. That there was this connection between all of creation where we, our lives, were related to the dirt and to the breath of life, the spirit. And how this was a testing. To see if we know her as Eve could recite what God had said. Now, I want to be careful here because oftentimes historical tradition has placed all of the blame of sin upon Eve. For it is Eve who listened to the serpent. It is Eve who took the fruit from the tree and it is Eve who offered it to Adam. But I'm going to stop right there. 
because the instructions on what tree to eat from was actually given to Adam. So they are both responsible for the introduction of sin. Let me say that again. God instructed Adam on what tree to eat from. They were both responsible. Not only that, but when Eve responded to the serpent, she had added to what God had said. Now, I don't know if that was her addition or if that was an addition by Adam when Adam shared this with Eve, but it was, you shall not only eat from it, but you shall not touch it or you will die. It's pretty representative of sometimes how we may hear things and then we add things that we may not actually have heard. Right? I mean, if you think about kids, it just, you know, even here with this basket, I could imagine if you had given the instruction of, you are not allowed to have this until Easter, they may come back with, and you can't even touch it. Do you know what I mean? Because it would be too much of a temptation. Because it's true. We can't help but put our own spin on the things that we hear, our own perspectives, our own understandings. And, and that's hard because it means that even our understanding of God can be clouded and unclear. That we need God's grace. We need each other to better understand what God is asking of us to better understand what we are called to do, to recognize those moments where we could be tested and fail. Because I can tell you how many of you in here are absolutely perfect in every single thing that you do and you never put a thing out of right. Awesome, Richard. Because we know we're not, right? We know it. We hate to admit that. I mean, many arguments are like, well, I was right and you were wrong. Or is that just me? Right? Sometimes we just want to be right instead of really reflecting on, hey, maybe there is, it's a both and that it's not a simple right or wrong dynamic, but it could be both. Like, we could both be right, and we could both be wrong. Man, shoot. I hate admitting that. Because, see, for me, and, and I don't know if this is true for many of you, but I'm one of those persons who suffers from the need to be perfect, Meaning that I just, I have to do everything in a very specific way and it's got to be absolutely right and absolutely perfect. And I will do 150%. Please don't question me on my math because I know that's not right. I will, but just this idea that I will put in all this effort to make it perfect. But what's perfect to me may not be perfect for someone else. Or am I putting a hundred hours into something that somebody else would be like, well, I would have only put 15 minutes into that. 
And then it makes me wonder, well, why did I do that? Was it really important? Was that self-imposed? Was I misunderstanding the assignment? And I think this idea of perfection for me is, will I ever be good enough? Can I ever do enough to be loved? Can I ever make it so that no one dislikes me or hates me? Well, if I just try hard enough, everyone will accept me and love me. You spend enough of your time doing that and you will grind yourself into the dust. So we come here in the season of Lent to remember that one, we are not perfect. We will never be perfect. That in our pursuit of being right or doing our best, that it is not what allows us to receive the gift of God's grace or God's love. Because here's the truth, that God's grace is enough. That we are going to stumble and we are going to fall. And if we take just a moment we will realize that even in our stumblings and even in our falls, God is still there. God will still love us. That God's grace is enough. And we hear this from Romans where we hear from Paul that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God even when we fall down. So in the season of Lent, may we we reflect honestly about our stumblings. May we reflect on our need to be perfect or to be right. Because these are the things that will further separate us from right relationship with God. And instead, lean into grace. For grace is enough. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.